And now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, a special hello goes out to the director of media for the Boston Bruins alumni, Mr. Mark Boland. Nice to see you, Marky. Welcome to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast, the home of behind-the-scenes interviews, stories, and memories that celebrate the heritage of the great game of hockey. The Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast is hosted by Mark Willand. Episode 22 of the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast features the personable Jordy Douglas, a WHA and NHL pro who scored 33 goals with the Hartford Whalers in 1979-80. After a great junior career with the Flin Flon Bombers, Jordy elected to sign with the New England Whalers of the World Hockey Association in 1978. With the Whalers, he teamed with hockey legends like John McKenzie, Dave Keon, and Gordie Howe as he learned the ropes of playing big league hockey. Jordy scored a goal in his first WHA game and really found his groove in the postseason. As a result of this strong performance, he joined Mark Howe as one of the only two protected Whaler skaters in the 1979 NHL expansion draft. With the legendary Keon as his centerman, in 1979, Jordy established himself as legitimate NHL scoring threat. A highlight was a four-goal game versus the eventual Stanley Cup champion, New York Islanders. Unfortunately, in Game 77 of that season, Douglas suffered a broken collarbone, an event that began a cycle of serious injuries that would plague him for the rest of his career. Now, he'd later play with the Minnesota North Stars and the Winnipeg Jets and conclude his career with a prolific two-year stay in Finland. Upon his retirement, Jordy found significant business success teaming with ex-New York Ranger Ted Irvin in the financial management industry. Jordy is an articulate, funny, and all-around good guy, and you'll enjoy his perspective on his days in hockey and beyond. Just a reminder to subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the Pro Hockey Alumni, visit ProHockeyAlumni.org. Now, let's talk classic hockey with Jordy Douglas. Our guest today is one of hockey's good guys, former Hartford Whaler, Minnesota North Star, Winnipeg Jet, Jordy Douglas. Jordy, thanks for being with us today. Mark, thank you so much. It's, it, I, I know you and I have had, uh, had this song and dance going for a while, so... <laughs> Uh, I appreciate the opportunity. No, we appreciate it. And last time I saw you, of course, was in Hartford. Uh, the Yard Goats baseball team had a, a reunion of Whaler players, which they do every year. And that's a, that's a fun event. It seems like when I see you guys together, no time has passed. You kind of pick right up. It seemed like you had a lot of fun yourself. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that the truth? And, and by the way, isn't that scary? <laughs> uh, we, we're, we're all kind of reliving our youth a little bit, obviously. I mean, we're all many, many years removed. And uh, But t two things come to mind, Mark, when you say that. One is just how well um, we, were, we, we, we were treated in Hartford those many years ago. And, and more importantly, how we all as players kind of bonded in that environment. I mean... You know, I got to I got to see some you know guys that had such an influence on me personally. But now we're all you know we're we're all ancient now, and we can sit and tell tell stories on a kind of a different level. Right. It's not as you know, it's just not as competitive. It's all it's about life and the mysteries of the universe, and <laughs> and and you know, it's uh, we got we're not hiding anything. We're pretty much out there, and and I guess the, the best the best thing about 
good friends, or sorry, teammates that become good friends is the fact that, and you know this, when you, you can be apart for many years, when you get together, you just pick up like you never left. So that's the sense we get when we show up in Hartford. Absolutely. It was a unique time in history. One of those, you kind of had to be there to appreciate it. Small community of yeah. very loyal fans, a team that, you know, by the time you had joined, had been forced to move out of the building in Hartford due to the roof collapsed, fans fall, yeah. fall the team all the way up to Springfield and then back. And it was a unique time in hockey history, a unique community, and a lot of those bonds and ties still uh, exist today. Yeah. Well, you know, just a couple points to that, and I totally concur. And I often say to, to people that ask me, you know, you, know, you, you played, you know, 10 years and you know where'd you have your most fun like what was the best part and and here's the ironic thing mark honest to god i tell this truthfully the most fun i ever had when i look back was my very first year in the wha with the new england whalers i just didn't know it uh you know it was my first year and i was you know the proverbial wet behind the ears trying to you know figure out where i fit in and what what it was all about but when i look back i i go what what a wonderful experience. You know, I mean, we, we as you know, the was it I-91 club or whatever? I mean, mm-hmm. I you know, we I lived in Manchester, and we'd, we'd, everybody kind of lived in and around Hartford, whether it was Avon, whatever. And, and we'd commute every day, uh, pretty much every day for games when we played and some practices. But what I remember is when we did practice up there, there'd be a caravan of us coming back down I-91, right. and we'd all, we, we, I, I remember we used to all stop at, uh, there was a Wendy's about halfway down the highway, and we'd, <laughs> we'd pull in there, and here come the New England Whalers, Gordy, Howe, and everybody ordering our Frosties, and I mean, you know, really, the fun we had without knowing it at the time, it was, it was, it was wonderful, really was. Yes, it was Major League Hockey with some minor league, and I don't say that derogatorily, no. but it was so much more... Uh, in, you, you were so much more integrated into the community than perhaps players are today. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. you were so much more accessible, and that's not a knock on anybody yeah. today. It's just the way, the nature of it. Um, yeah. Speaking, yeah. when you were growing up in, in Winnipeg, the team, uh, the local team, of course, was the World Hockey Association's Winnipeg Jets. And yeah. that was a very, very good team, as you know, with great historical significance to the game. Did you have a yeah. chance? I know that uh, the early years uh, were years you may have been uh, a fan uh, with Bobby Hull, Chris Bordlow, Norm Bowden oh, yeah. uh, that first year, and then by the year three, the European invasion, uh, yeah. if you want to yeah. call it that, with Andrews Hedberg, Ulf Nilsson, Lars Eric Schuberg, Kurt Larson, and, and the Finns, uh, Veli Catola, oh, yeah. and Hexa Riorante. Uh, as a fan, as a kid growing up, and as a hockey player, uh, what type of, I, I, I guess I would ask, impact did those teams have on, on you as a young person? Well, okay, so you know, here's my history. <clears throat> I grew up a block away from the Winnipeg Arena, so I knew how to sneak in that building. <laughs> so when, in 1972, when the Jets showed up in the WHA, uh, you know, I, was, I was starry-eyed like most every other kid, Prior to that, we'd get the North, Minnesota North Stars would have training camp the odd time here, so we'd see the guys. But when the WHA showed up in the Jets, I, I have to tell you, until I went to play junior in Flin Flon, uh, I religiously snuck in that building. That was my cathedral. And I would, and in those days, it wasn't nearly as you know security-based as it is today, but, right. uh, but I'd watch, I'd watch, I'd watch, I'd, you know. 
and the, here's here's the I, ironic thing. I, you know, as as much as I was a fan, I, I you know I was I was learning. You know, I was watching, and 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 now all these many years later, every one of those guys you've mentioned are friends of mine. Uh, because of the Jets alumni, I'm very mm-hmm. very involved here in Winnipeg. We just had a big event in Helsinki when the Jets went over there to play Florida, and all those Finns were there and. You know, they still come back to Winnipeg. That's how much of an impression the team, the city had on that team. But you learn from watching. I mean, our, our, you know, it's one thing to play the game, and, and, and it's pretty, you know, it's, it's a fast-paced game, but you're, you're learning by watching other guys. I mean, I, when I sat on a bench, I watched guys all the time. And, mm-hmm. But, yeah, everybody in this city that remembers the, the WHA still has a passion for it. I mean, they're still acknowledged here in Winnipeg. As a matter of fact, Mark, we just lost the very first captain the Jets had, passed away this summer, right. a dear friend of mine, Ann McDonald, and there was over 1,200 people turn out for that man's funeral. I mean, I mean, you know, all these many years later, that's how well-regarded and respected he was, and, and, and that whole whole era, it, it impacted Winnipeg, but, and you, you mentioned all those names, it impacted hockey, it changed the game of hockey. All When you when you started bringing Ulf Nielsen and Anders Hedberg and all those guys over, uh, I think, and I'm pretty sure you know this, I mean, Glenn Sather was famous for saying the Edmonton Oilers teams of the 80s that won the Cups were patterned after the Jets teams of the 70s that had all those Europeans. Right. I mean, that's that's an incredible compliment. The, the sad part about the Winnipeg Jets is that they started to lose players vis-a-vis economics. I mean, the Hedberg and Nielsen signed with the Rangers, and then they, when the the merger occurred. I don't know if any other team of the four that went in were raked over the coals as badly as the Jets were for talent. They oh, lost yeah, right. all their talent, you know. And so there was a real, you know, dark time here. I mean, they they were in the NHL and excited about it, but they lost all their young guys. It would have been interesting to see how they would have played had they been able to bring those bodies forward. I love that Winnipeg team. That was the first team I ever saw in Hartford as an opponent. Uh, and I was just mesmerized and uh, the pride that the fans of that era still have in that team and the closeness of the team is really remarkable and we did a uh, we did a tribute podcast to Ab McDonald and um, yeah. Again, the outpouring was was unbelievable. unbelievable. So it's yep. uh, it's yep. it's great. Now, speaking of the Jets, Jordy, when you're done, uh, when you're in your last year at Flin Flon, you're having a, a terrific year. It becomes yeah. apparent that you're going to get uh, an offer to play Major League Hockey somewhere. Uh, the, right. Win- the Winnipeg Jets are interested in you. The, the WHA doesn't really have an official draft uh, of right. any note, but the Jets are interested. The hometown Jets and of course, the New England Whalers, and you have uh, an NHL draft pending. Um, Correct. Ultimately, you choose to come to New England, a team that is almost like a, uh, a hockey museum on skates. I mean, it's got, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, you know, boyhood idols, I assume, Gordie Howe, Dave Keon. I'm, I'm assuming, yeah. I'm just kind of speaking for you, but I, I'm assuming that the, that type of, that opportunity for a young man like yourself to play with that type of, uh, historical significance type of players swayed you from staying at home with Winnipeg? Big time. Big time, Mark. Uh, look, I, you know, um, I, I was brought up, um, at that time my lawyer was a fellow by the name of Normie Kaplan. He was out of Montreal, God bless him, he's since passed. But, you know, when I when I hooked up with him, he said, look, really, it, it, I was at the tail end of the WHA, as it turned out. And 
all he ever said was, look, we want to have a, we'd love to have a couple of, you know, we'd love to have two leagues bidding on a player. That's exactly what you want, right? And uh, and they had no draft, as you mentioned, in the WHA. But I, I had a, I came out of junior with some significant numbers and, and had a really outstanding career. And I really became a player kind of my last year of junior. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, Winnipeg got interested in me because I grew up a month like literally a block away. I mean, I, I laugh about it where, you know, I seriously tell my friends, yeah, for, for years I used to sneak in the building and now they're inviting me in the front door to talk about paying me. You know, it's <laughs> like, uh, talk about full circle. And, and I, I met Bobby Hull and, you know, he, you know, they were, they were, they rolled out the carpet. I mean, they were doing their best to get me to, to, to sign with Winnipeg. And, and I, I'm not going to lie. I mean, up until new England got involved in the bidding, it was, significant for me to consider because you know they were very generous and then and then new england got involved they thought well wait a minute this kid this you know obviously this kid's interested so then i had both new england and and art and and winnipeg uh bidding and this is this is basically two weeks three weeks before the nhl draft and um you know what i i i i was once new england got involved and, and you're right mark you start talking about you know gordy how you know and Dave Keon, Johnny McKenzie, and Brad Selwood, Ricky Lee, and Al Smith, John Garrett, and Andre Lacroix. Mm-hmm. I'm just going like, why wouldn't I consider the, you know, consider this? And and that that was the mitigating issue going there was just wanting to be in that company, hopefully making the team and being in that company. And you know, and I I guess I was a little bit, I don't want to say tainted. That's not fair, but. I just, you know, I just shared with you where I snuck in and I saw the Jets like any time I wanted. So it was like they weren't new to me anymore. They were mm-hmm. kind of the, you know, they were they were the local squad. And and part of it too was I I, I don't know I I wasn't confident enough at that time to want to start my career at home. I just thought there'd be a lot of it'd be one thing to play in front of mom and dad, but there'd be so many people that would be. I don't. I guess the word I'll use is judgmental. That's probably not fair, but you know, there'd be a lot more people in my peer group that would be conscious of me, and probably I felt probably not as confident that I could start here and mm-hmm. and, and and build my career with with that hanging over me. But in New England, it was the perfect perfect setting for me, and that's and that's really why I went. You make the decision, come to the New England Whalers. You come into Bradley Airport. You get to the hotel for training camp. Yeah. And they hand out the room assignments. And uh, <laughs> you uh, you find out that you've got a future Hall of Famer with you. What's that like? I mean, I, I just can't imagine uh, yeah. th- th- that feeling of being a young guy like yourself, 19 you know, years old or whatever. And uh, hey, here's your here's your roommate. Uh, here you go. What a yeah. what a way to start. Tell me about that. Well, so so at the time that I showed up, uh, another fellow by the name of Jeff Rubaker. Uh, we were the two young guy, young guys mm-hmm. uh, that that Whaler signed. So I kind of got I, you know quickly met Jeff because uh, we were kindred spirits. We'd played, you know, he played with Peterborough. I played with Flynn Flaw, and we almost made the Memorial. They did and Memorial Cup. So we kind of just casually hooked up and. He went, you know, he, he said, oh, you know, who, who's your roommate? I thought, Dave, Dave Keon. He goes, well, I, I, got, I got Johnny McKenzie. <laughs> so we make our way to the hotel rooms, and, and, and really we don't know anybody. I don't know anybody. And, you, you, know, you, you know, I learned early on, not that I practice it today, Mark, you know me, but I learned that the good Lord gives you 
two ears and one mouth, and you should use them in proportion. <laughs> and uh, I did when I was early in my career. I don't do that anymore. But um, I showed up. I go to my hotel room, and I'm you know I'm strict on the you know they 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 sent me you know a, re- a regime of, of of my training. I mean they you know I I was a keener, my first year pro. I'm, I don't want to disappoint anybody. Mm-hmm. And I'm in my room, I'm watching TV, I'm sitting on the edge of the bed, and all of a sudden uh, the key fumbles in the door a little bit, you know? And I'm thinking, uh-oh, here we go. <laughs> Dave Keon walks in. And uh, and if you know Dave, I have the utmost respect for Dave Keon. He is the consummate professional. But he's also a very quiet man, you know? he's one of He's kind of the... Uh, you know, pay attention when he speaks because he doesn't do that very often. Mm-hmm. I, I totally love the man, respect him to death, and 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 he came in and he, you know, he kind of nodded and I kind of, you know, like hi, Mister Keon, you know, and and I I get when I get nervous I start talking a lot and <laughs> and uh, I want to break I want to break the ice and I'm thinking what am I going to say and so finally and he's fumbling around a little bit getting organized putting his stuff away and putting his shaving kit away and. I finally look at him and I say, uh, you know, uh, I'm a graduate of your hockey school. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, he goes, what? Yeah, the, the Billy Harris Dave Keon Hockey School. You came to Winnipeg and I went and met you there. And he goes, he's looking at me like, I only met about a thousand kids that day, you know. And, <laughs> and I said, you know, and, but I had no idea what to say. And he kind of looked at me and said, well, that's good. And he said, well, I'm gone. I'll see you later on. And he left and I, <laughs> I never saw him again till. You know, bedtime, so to speak. So it was just, uh, uh, I mean, they, listen, that was the first meeting. But, Mark, after that, they made, they made you feel really welcome once once they knew the lay of the land and, and they knew who was going to be around. Because this is training camp. There's lots of bodies, right? So, mm-hmm. But that first, yeah, that first uh, that first day, first visit, so to speak, was, uh, uh, I still remember it very well and very fondly. You get through that, you get through training camp, and you have a, a memorable beginning to your major league career, because I think your first game was on the road in Lake Holisay in Quebec, and yeah. you, uh, I think you scored in that game as well. You, how do you remember this stuff? Yeah, listen, <laughs> absolutely. I, I, uh, I, didn't the, do my, I didn't do my homework in high school. Yeah, I apparently not. You did. <laughs> Mark, well done. No, I... Uh, for our our first uh, season opener was in Quebec, and um, and I'm I'm kind of the odd. Uh, in those days, the, the the New England had three lines and two extra players. It's kind of the forward positions, and and it was Gordy Howe and Jordy Douglas for the most part, filler nine and filler eleven, as as he used to call us. And <laughs> and uh, but I but they had me on the power play, and so the, uh, my very first shift and my very first shot in the in 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 Quebec was a goal. I scored a goal and it was assisted by Gordy Howe. And 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 I get the puck. I mean literally this all happened very quickly in the first period and I and 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 I've got this puck and I, and I can remember walking out of the arena and Gordy's kind of and again I'm trying to figure out where I fit in all all this and he kind of snuggles up and he says, "Hey, you got your first goal. Good for you." He says, "You know that was my 2500th assist." <laughs> <laughs> and I was gobsmacked, and I pulled the puck out of my pocket, and I go, "Do you want the puck?" <laughs> and, and he couldn't stop laughing. Of course, it wasn't, but it, you know, it just totally floored me. Like, but that you know, you met, you know, Gord, you know, right. he was light, Gordy, and 
that was just he'd had a great laugh at my expense and I was laughing along with him but yeah that was my first outing and then and then uh, I remember getting rhubarb by the guys telling they consistently told me I was going to be the 80 goal scorer <laughs> for the season I well wishful thinking eh <laughs> well you know it's your first pro season as you said uh, you know working yourself into the lineup with a veteran team and some yeah. interesting, like you said, some interesting characters, not only the guys that you mentioned, uh, but also eventually uh, Blaine Stout and Mike Rogers. Yep. Teams starting to come together. For yourself, I feel like you really kind of hit your stride in the postseason. Um, after the regular yeah. season, they have the uh, the first-round victory over the Cincinnati Stingers, and then, of course, into the uh, semifinals, uh, a se- six- or seven-game series against the Edmonton Oilers with Wayne Gretzky. And I was curious, uh, looking back at it, playing against Gretzky so many times that year, the league only had six teams, and so you probably played against Gretzky 12 or 13 times. Uh, What were your impressions of him then, and did you feel like he was going to end up being as prolific as he turned out to be? Well, truth be told, the answer would be no. I didn't know. Not a lot of people thought so, I I don't think. Um, And I'll I'll tell you why, because... You know, there was a lot of conversation when, when, because he, Wayne, as you know, went to, he was in Indianapolis originally, and, right. and, and they weren't a very good team, and, and, uh, and, and he was playing there, and, and it wasn't like you didn't know he was out there. You knew he was there, but you, you looked at him, and he was all of about a buck oh five, and he was, <laughs> you know, uh, you just, you know, you just looked at him as like, you know, he looked so, uh, just physically standing there, he looked just so out of place. But you know he had obviously incredible uh, hockey IQ, and but it was a matter of people around him. But he, you know, what is he? Seventeen years old, right, mm-hmm. or whatever. And and so to tell, to say to you honestly that oh yeah, you could just tell he was going to be you know this incredible point getter. I, no, I couldn't say that. You knew he was going to be a great player, and but but the secondary to that mark was always the fact that everybody said well yeah wait till somebody runs him over though wait till they hit him you know he's mm-hmm. just a little guy and well, of course nobody ever hit him because they couldn't catch him and he'd step out of the way his periphery vision was unbelievable but nobody knew that at the time so you know we when we went when we went into the playoffs that year as you say beat cincinnati and i started to get more ice time with with whalers and i think and i know why because it was you know the older bodies were getting tired. They, you know, we'd gone through a whole season. I was still pretty well, well rested and a young mm-hmm. guy. And and we we took Edmonton seven games actually. And it was a home and home series. We won every game at home, and they won every game at Edmonton. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and I can remember the last game, the sixth game in Hart, in Hartford in well Springfield, and and I, I I scored I think two goals that game to to push it to game seven and. A couple of the older guys were looking at me like, "What the hell are you doing? Now we got to go back to friggin' Edmonton, because like, <laughs> there were no charters in those days, as you know. It was a milk run, and but but you know, I I, I hadn't played much all all year, so I, I I me this was my this was my you know my time to play, and and they beat us in Edmonton, of course, and then that was the end of the season, and 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 it and and, and I look back, and I just I, you know I don't think there's a player out there won't tell you, Mark, that. It happens in a blur, like like you know, one year of a hockey season is is a blur, and that, that's how I felt my year was that year. And uh, they went on to lose to Winnipeg, as you know, in the in the final 
uh, Avco Cup, and you know, good choice I made. I got, I have all the memories in Hartford, and and everybody in that signed with the Jets got the Avco Cup. So uh, uh, I, I, I I don't have that to talk about, but I'm not going to trade any any of my memories for that for sure. Speaking of that last year at WHA, it was kind of a strange year because you, certainly as the year wore on, everybody knew that you'd be the teams would be in, uh, going to the National Hockey League. So this was going yeah. to be the final season of WHA. I was curious. I mean, did, did, what was the attitude like? I mean, just around the league. I mean, was the intensity level uh, as high as it normally would have been? It's just a strange set of circumstances, knowing you're playing yeah. in a league for the for the final time. Well, it's interesting you say that because, so, you know, again, my first year, so everything t- to me is new, right? I, I, I don't have, truth be told, I have nothing to hold this season up to, right? Mm-hmm. But, but I've often described it now that I've reflected on it as kind of the year that they made up the rules as they went along, <laughs> uh, in right. this sense. Uh, you know, like Indianapolis folded, so now they had to disband that team and re- rework the schedule. So you, you mentioned, again, Edmonton. We played them seven times in the playoffs, home and home. I think you add in all the rescheduling of it. I think we played them something like 15 times that year. Right. You know, and, and you just go, who the freak plays, you know, what kind of you know, what kind of league is that when you're playing? But, but that's what the WHA did to survive. And, and to your point about going to the NHL, I, I will tell you this as I, you know, I, as, I, as I stand here right now. When I left Hartford at the end of the season, I was told to take everything home with me because there was not yet then a commitment 100% that the teams, that there were any, uh, any teams going to go to the NHL. Mm-hmm. So literally when I, when I left Hartford, I'd come back to Winnipeg to train and, and stay here. It was, it was pretty much, from my point of view, I was told it was still up in the air. I could still be back in Hartford. Uh, and the league could still have another year under its belt, or it could be in the NHL, but under one, but where I, I only, only, you know, only time would tell. So, um, it, as it turned out, there was a lot of signs that that was going to happen, but under one, under, under one context, nobody seemed to know really until till till they announced two protected players and two goalies, and then everybody else went back to where they were drafted. Right. Going into that 79-80 season, there was a it was a very interesting season in hockey. It was a very interesting season to be around the Hartford Whalers because there's some emotion there. You're going back into this NHL schedule. You've got Gordy coming back to the NHL at the age of 51. Uh, David Keon, of course, uh, in, in his uh, you know pushing 40 at that point. One game I always remember from that year, I think I think it was the most special game of the early Whaler years, was Halloween in Toronto. As you guys play the Maple Leafs, yep. Dave Keon returns home and he scores, yep. Gordy scores. Tell me what that was like going back to the Maple Leaf Gardens with wow. uh, with those two in tow. Well, you know, the, you know let, let, Mark, let me, let me set this up a little bit, if you don't mind. Because people have asked me this before, like, you know, what was it like for all the guys, you know, like this going to the NHL? And I, and I always say, you know, I didn't know any different. I didn't play in the NHL. I was just trying to better myself. I wanted to be a better player. And so wherever that league, you know, wherever that took me, that's where I played. And But for a lot of guys coming out of the WHA to the NHL, this was because, for a lot of guys, this was because they couldn't, didn't get an opportunity at the NHL level previous. That's why they went to the WHA 
you know, made themselves there, and then they, you know, then of course the NHL. So there was a lot of emotion. Guys, guys were very emotional. Older guys coming mm-hmm. into the NHL. Okay, now someone like Dave and, and Gore, not so much Gordy Howe. He was such an aberration. I mean, he was just a fun-loving guy. Just played, didn't matter. You know, it just didn't matter. He just played. And but 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 Dave Keon was a and, and some of those older guys. You know, their loyalty they wore on their on their sleeves, and you know, and they were proud. Dave was a proud Maple Leaf that things didn't turn out there. So for you know, and they would basically, you know, basically, as I understand it, told because he was well, he was just too old, and they, you know, they they let him go, and you know, he was not, as it turned out. But right. for him to go back to Toronto and have success, not one day. I mean, he had success for a couple of years later in his, you know, the first years of the NHL. Mm-hmm. Wow, I mean, it was so emotional. It was it was electric. I mean, I've been in some buildings over my career that there's there's emotion, and then there's this form of electricity. Right. I think of I think of that game with with Dave, but I also think of the return of Gordy Howe to Detroit. Mm-hmm. You know, there, that was emotional, but there was electricity in that building. I don't know how else to explain it. It was just. It was just so incredibly special, and just so much going on. It was, it was almost like, um, you know, like a whirlwind, like a tornado. It was just everything was happening, and 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 all good stuff. But for Dave to walk out of there and having scored a goal, and 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 you know, prove that he could still play, and I, I I couldn't imagine what that man felt. Uh, basically, proving everybody in that. You know, in the, in the owner's box, wrong. I, it had to have been incredible for him too. It sure was, and I think he chased Harold Ballard right out of his box. I think he left the game early yeah. in that uh, four to two Whaler victory, as you noted. Uh, yeah, equally emotional, electric night at the Olympia in Detroit, or uh, was it Joe Lewis? Then I can't remember. It was Joe. No, it was Joe Lewis. It was Joe Lewis. It was the first year. Yep. Coming back, uh, you've got. The three house uh, lined up, and uh, you know uh, another great night. But for yourself personally, you're on yeah. the left side with Dave Keon at center. Uh, during the year, you've yeah. had Gordy as a right wing at some point, Tommy Rowe. Yeah. But yeah. regardless, you're flying. You've got 33 goals that year. Tell me a little yeah. bit about just I guess just working with Dave Keon on ice, and now your first year in the NHL. Quickly establish yourself as a bona fide top flight left wing. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, again, just just things happen so fast. Like like you know that year, uh, you know, people in you know even you'd say this. There's certain years you'd like to live over again, so to speak. Mm-hmm. For me, that would be one of them. But it was still, you know, I I didn't come out of the gate really well that year. I don't think I scored till like either late October, early November. I mean, I was. I was, I don't want to say floundering, but I was like a lot of guys, young guys, just trying to figure it out now. Because not, not only did I have to figure out the WHA one year, the next year, now you're figuring out the NHL. And and because I was protected, I was, the, the Whalers were obligated to keep me for three years. They couldn't, they couldn't do anything with me. They couldn't trade me. They couldn't, they had to keep me. And so mm-hmm. I felt this other part of pressure, you know, as I look back on it, that I had, to, that I, you know, I felt like I had to, I, you know the old adage. I tried to do more than I probably should have, probably what I could have done. Mm-hmm. And when you do when you do that, Mark, you never play your game. You're you're doing things you, you know that you are outside your comfort zone. And 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 so once I figured out 
some, and it took a while for them to figure out a line. But once they got me with Dave, it it worked. It worked from the point of view of you know he was such a great passer, and and my asset was speed. And and if I could just time it right, you know I could I could get some pressure down low with a pass from Dave and away I'd go type thing. And but that took me a while to figure out. Mm-hmm. And because and, I my my first instinct was always soon as we had control i'd take off like a bat out of hell trying to get up the ice and and and, you know and i and gordy howe was the one who you know this is a a true story this is you know a a couple times out you know gordy's on as you say i was on the right side and and he he's about patience you know like you know you wait for the play to develop don't don't force it and i would be forcing it at the blue line i'd be flying up there wanting the puck you know give me the puck and and i you know he he'd say to me over and over look jordy jordy I'm not giving you the puck. Don't force the play. Let 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 it develop. And, and then he says to me one time, "Look, if you if you keep doing this, I'm going to fire that puck at you." <laughs> and and you know I'm, I'm you know I'm just a kid. I'm, I took off again. Son of a gun! If he doesn't fire the puck, it hits me right between the shoulder blades. <laughs> it like, and he's laughing away. This is in the game, and he's looking at me like I told you, dumbass. Like that, slow down. <laughs> and so it took a while for me to figure out pace of play and 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 you know and i'm playing with guys that you know aren't as fast as me only because of age and and what have you and once i figured that out and 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 what have you you know it, it became a it became a very workable uh, role for me and 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 i got lots of chances playing with those guys lots and when you get chances they're going to go in i mean that's what that's what happens when you're a goal scorer right so that second half of that year you really come into your own and then fate strikes in game, I believe, about three games left in the season or so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You break your collarbone and eventually miss the playoffs. Yeah. And yeah. that sets in motion a series of, for lack of a better term, bad luck uh, oh, yeah. in your career with, and this is something that always gets underrated. You've got the, you know, I think you broke your foot in the mix. You had, you had the shoulder yeah. injuries. and it takes the momentum out of your career. And I was just curious, Jordy, looking back psychologically, you're very young at that point. Um, How are you handling that day, one after the other after the other, those serious injuries? Well, um, yeah, you know, when you... I didn't handle it well. I didn't have the tools to handle it. If it happens to me today... You know, and all the experience in my life, yeah, I can deal with it. But I, I didn't have the tools. I'd never been hurt before. And, 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 and Mark, you're right. I mean, it just started to snowball. It was, it was one after the other, and, and they were getting worse. I mean, the, you know, I lost, I should have lost a whole season with my shoulder surgery, but I was so bored to death, I rehabbed and got back early. And, and, and I shouldn't have got back because I wasn't, you know, my shoulder wasn't, a hundred percent, but it, you know they played me anyway, and so two things happened. One is I, I, you know, I didn't have the tools to deal with it. All I knew was I had to get back, and I worked hard to do that. And then, and then what what ends up happening back then that's a little different than today. So today, if, if you're hurt, I mean, literally, they park you till you're a hundred percent, literally. Mm-hmm. And back in back in my day, the concern was always that if you don't, if you're not in the lineup then you might not have a spot in the lineup. And and so that always hung over players, hung over me and I so I wanted to get back and and then when I did get back, one of you know, this is gonna one of the things that 
when I reflect on my career, especially when I left when I left Hartford, but when I got to Minnesota and then Winnipeg, was you know I became I became somewhat of an insurance policy for teams, mm-hmm. and, and and because I could play any forward position, I could play right wing, left wing, or center. I, I mean, I, when I went to Minnesota, they had me all over the map, and I and I could I was capable enough to do that. But they would look at me and say, well, you know, we're going to play so-and-so today because he can only play left wing, you know, right. or he can only play. So so I ended up spending, like, a lot of time in the press box and, and not getting in the lineup at all, for, for, for the most part. And, and then when I did, they would put me in roles that, you know, because, uh, you know, because I, I, I could skate and I could check and I could do all these other things, they'd put me in those roles, and the responsibility to score wasn't, you know, I, I didn't see power play ice time. I didn't see, uh, you know, the ice time I got in Hartford, and and so it's it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a catch twenty two to be good enough to do lots of things and 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 not just do one thing, mm-hmm. and and that's kind of what ended up happening. And and not that I begrudge myself. I, I you know, I mean, I was I'm glad to say I could do all that. And but I I didn't I didn't get a resurrection out of my career until I ended up going back actually going to Europe and playing in Finland and they let me score goals again. So I, my first year NHL, I, they let me score goals and my last years in Finland, they let me score goals and everything in between was kind of doing my job, so to speak. It goes to show you sometimes uh, a guy you may have played with, for example, in Springfield, you, we were, you were you there briefly in the AHL, uh, yeah. Charlie Simmer and I, I think of guys Bingo. like him. Yep. It's it's the it's sometimes fate and luck and circumstance yep. come into play and where you end oh, up and who, who your linemates are, who, most importantly who your coach and GM are, and yep. what role you have. Really, when you judge a player's career, it, it, it you have to kind of look beyond uh, yep. numbers sometimes and look at what the circumstances were because yep. it, they change here or there and then it's a whole different situation your career you go to Minnesota let's say Lou Nanny you know, whomever says okay bingo you're going to play in the second line you're going to be in a left wing that's period right. and you're going to stay here and you know enjoy that's your 80 right. games that's a different circumstance of course and as you said bouncing all around yep. and luck and fate and things are out of your control it's very humbling sometimes I suppose to look back at that, but it's definitely a factor. And I, I thought of that last night. I was in the uh, Boston Garden, and yeah. we're in the, in the alumni box, uh, and I was with John Busick, who's 84 or, <laughs> or 5, and you know he played 20-plus years and almost perfectly healthy all the way through, and he still gets around great now. And yep. next to him was another player who, who didn't play in the NHL uh, long, played about 30 games, and has had two knee replacements, yep. uh, two shoulder uh, reconstructions, uh, two hip replacements, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and yeah. it's just one of those things. I mean, who knows yeah. what it is, but... Um, oh, you, you hit the nail on the head. It, it, it's, you know, it's, it's almost like life in a lot of ways. It's not always what you know, it's who you know, and... Uh, you know, and and you get you get yourself into a situation, and it can work for you, and it can also work against you. So, um, and again, I don't begrudge it. It's just that's what that was my walk. That's what happened to me. And and uh, but yeah, you're right. I, I I know guys that didn't play that much and are beat up pretty bad. And other guys, I mean, if you think about careers, Mark, most guys who had long careers, if you think about it, mm-hmm. never really had major injuries for the most part. Right. The, the minute you start getting hurt joints especially knees ankles hips shoulders 
your career starts to struggle because your body, as well as they can fix it, you're never the same. You're never the same. No, especially then, especially then where it was a relatively yeah. primitive uh, medical care back then. You know, uh, anyway, I know we have just a, a few more minutes, uh, Jordy, but Mike Corrigan, a guy you know uh, yes. as well. You know, he, I was talking with him in the previous podcast, and he gave an example of how his career ended in Buffalo with a broken ankle. And what the, the, yes. what the trainers did was wrap game programs ah. around his, his ankle, <laughs> taped them up with hockey tape, and sent him yeah. off to the hospital, and you know yeah. that's just the way that was then. So, Jordy, yeah. here's you go to Finland, enjoy some great success there. I, I think you, as you said, you rejuvenated yourself, enjoyed the game again. However, yeah. uh, by '86, '87, a couple things enter into your life, and I'm curious about this. Yeah. Uh, first of all, sadly, at a very young age, your dad passes away, and that's yes. that's tough. And that, that impacts yeah. you uh, as it did myself. I went through a similar experience. So you, you go. you've, got yep. that, you've got that hanging over you. Your career comes to a conclusion. Yep. You have the opportunity to go back to the NHL. I think you've, you know, you've articulated before that you pretty much had your fill at that point. Yep. Where are yeah. you mentally? You're in back home. It's like, yeah. a, it's like a Tuesday in November and your your whole life has been like schedule be here be there be there yep. to give it a thought and you're 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 there and it's over like you know it's over yep. you've made the decision it's over where are you mentally and what what is your objective next yeah well you know there isn't one hockey player in the world doesn't go through this at some point right we didn't know i didn't know anything else i, I mean i say i played till I, i've had two careers in my life i played till i was 30 and now i'm in business and i've been at it 30 years i'm pretty fortunate mm -hmm. but mark i i you know i was telling you earlier about you you asked me about injuries and i didn't have the tools to deal with all that and i, and I really didn't and ironically when my dad died i was uh, playing in finland just came out of a just came out of a great season i i actually just went back to um, you know i i scored a goal a game 36 goals i scored 36 uh, times in 36 games Still a team record over there. And, and you know, just everything that could go right did. And then the next year in October, my dad dies. And he has a massive heart attack. He's 56. And, and I don't, once again, I don't have the tools to deal with this. I don't. I'm on my own. I, I was never married during my career. I lived on my, you know, I was a single guy, you know, and I really enjoyed myself. And, and I go back to, so I come from my dad's funeral and they give me time off to come home, and, and, and I really don't even want to go back. Like, I'm just a basket case. This is, this is really, this has really kicked me in the side of the head. And, but I, my mom convinces me to go back, and I do. And, and, but I am not, I am nowhere near mentally capable of functioning. And, and uh, you know, uh, sadly, I, you know, I, I, I got into some extracurricular activity. You know, I drank a little bit too much, and I just, I just didn't want, I, I, I don't know what it was, but I, at that time, I just didn't want to deal with, let's call it reality. And I kind of blame myself. I mean, I, you mm -hmm. know, I, arguably 10,000 miles away, like I could have helped my dad if I was here. I mean, that you just go through so many things. And, and when the season ended that year, and, I, and in hindsight, I don't know how, why they even kept me around. I was pretty much uh, uninvolved, but they did, and, and they and finished the year, and came home I, I literally came home and, and i remember you you asked me about a tuesday well i can tell you i i can remember i had a house here in winnipeg and i had a dog and i my dog and i would sit and i wouldn't know what day it was but i'd be drinking beer and having a pizza mm -hmm. 
<laughs> and I'd never been able to do that. I didn't know if it was Sunday or Tuesday or Thursday. I had no idea, but I ordered a pizza and I'd be drinking beer looking out the window. <laughs> and I did that far too long. I did that for a while. And I, and then, and I had phone calls to go back to Europe to play. And, and I just kept saying no. And in hindsight, if I look at my life today, yeah, it's turned out great. I'm not lying. But, but I should have gone back because I really enjoyed that. But I wasn't prepared. It took me arguably three, four years to work through that and uh, through my dad and just mature as a man. And, but I got through it with some really wonderful support. Uh, my business partner is a, you know, is, my, is a brother from another mother. That's Ted Irvin, the old New York Ranger. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he and I have been in business for 30 years together. We're, I love the man. He's just, uh, you know, we're just, uh, you know, it's worked out so well for us and families and and, and so on and so forth. But he was a real mentor to me, helped me get through it, as did Ray Newfeld eventually. You know, good old Ray. He and I were mm-hmm. roommates junior. We're still wonderful friends today. And another friend of mine, Kim Davis, he played in junior. He played in Flint Flon, and he became the Manitoba Junior Hockey Commissioner here. And, you know, if it wasn't for these these other men in my life, seriously, who, who mentored me, and, and this is something men don't do enough of, <laughs> talk to each other. Right. Um, I I don't know what would happen, but they they really really helped me and and got me back on track, so to speak. And and uh, you know what, I I got through it. Um, but but if I if I summarized it real quick, Mark, I'd say I quit I quit way too quick. I, I you know I, I I just I exited way too fast mm-hmm. and and justified it in my mind. And uh, but 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 I'm not you know please don't think I'm regretting it. I mean I, my life is marvelous i have a wonderful time i do a lot of things i've got great friends great family but if i look back i didn't have the tools i have today that would have helped me get through that well you certainly seem to have peace of mind and uh, from meeting you and from you know seeing you at at various things and from uh following your yourself on on facebook and and wherever uh it just seems like you have uh you're in a good place mentally and uh enjoying your life now and you've you've had to work hard to get there you know ted Irvin, you noted was a great mentor he went through the same thing i remember him talking about that when his career was over and what do you do next but uh getting into the financial services business which reminds me of uh, one of the things i wanted to close with jordy is the corollary between we've talked a lot about challenges today that you've had in your life yeah. and overcoming those challenges, the corollary between being a hockey player in the, your hockey career and how that those lessons translated into oh, your yeah. business success. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's interesting, Marco. I I will I will say this publicly and I'll from the from the rooftops. I will put an I will put a, a hockey player slash athlete. Uh, uh, in front of anybody at any time and knowing that they will battle. You can have every degree under the sun, but if you don't know what it's like to battle every day, um, you might not have much success. But mm-hmm. if you put an athlete who's had to work every day to succeed, to, to be the best they can be, I will take them hands down. And, and, and uh, the best way to describe it is, is in our day when we played, if you had a bad day and we weren't, you know, bad days, everybody has a bad day and you're entitled to that bad day. But in hockey, for example, you couldn't have two. If you had two bad days, somebody was taking your job and you learned really quickly to get over yourself, get over that, get through it, whatever it takes 
make sure the next day is a better day than the last day. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in business, it's worked marvelously well. I still have bad days, Mark. I really do. I'm a human being, but I don't let them, I don't let them add up. I don't let them multiply. I move on. My, my son said to me many years ago uh, when he was, he's 25 now, and he'd say, I remember distinctly him saying to me, you know, like, Dad, why are you always happy? And I go, son, it's a choice. You have a choice every morning. You can be happy. You can be miserable. You can be a P-R-I-C-K. You can be whatever you want, but it's your choice. And, and you know what? I, I live by that. It's your choice every day if you want to smile or you want to be a P-R-I-C-K. And uh, I choose to smile. And, uh, and the more you do it, Mark, the easier it is to do. Well, it is infectious, and certainly anyone who spends time with Jordy Douglas will be smiling because you're a, a good guy and a friendly and an intelligent guy. We uh, greatly appreciate the time today. Oh, I've you. wanted to do this for a while, so we appreciate that. And, uh, yeah. Jordy, good luck, and we look forward to thank seeing you, uh, I'm sure, hopefully next summer in Hartford, Connecticut. I tell you what, Mark, my wife's got it on the calendar. Are you kidding me? <laughs> We're not missing that. Come hell or high water, that is su- such a good time. So I look forward to seeing you then, too, okay? Thanks, Jordy. I appreciate it. Thanks. Okay. Thank you, Mark, very much. Appreciate it. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast. Be sure to visit us at ProHockeyAlumni.com dot org.